Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it's our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We have different gatherings throughout the month. For more info, go to wearesya.com and follow us on Instagram at wearesya. Hey, hey, what's up, Shepherd Church? How you doing this evening? Oh, man, thank you so much for welcoming me. I'm so glad to be with you. If you don't know me, which you probably don't, my name is Michael. Uh, I'm actually from Valencia, California, so right up uh, the other side of the valley there. I'm the te- one of the teaching pastors at a church that you may know very well called Real Life Church in uh, Valencia, California. I don't know if you know this, but 20 plus years ago, Shepherd Church was the church that planted Real Life Church. And I'm pleased to tell you that in 20 plus years since then, God has been doing some amazing things and continues to do a lot of amazing things through our lead pastor, Rusty George, and our church there. And we love Shepherd. We are huge fans of Shepherd. Uh, we love your, your pastor, Dudley and Tim and, and all the guys that are here uh, and Dusty as well. He's become a good friend of mine. So thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be a part of this tonight with you. Let me start off by showing you the best parts of what it means to be Michael. Let me show you my family here. This is my beautiful family. That woman that's sitting next to me, the hottest woman I've ever seen in the world, that's my wife. She is gorgeous. I love her. Her name is Erica. And then the girl that's uh, to my, uh, I think that's my left there, that's Kira. She's our oldest. She's 13. I don't even need to say anymore, right? She's a 13-year-old. You already know how it's going in my house. And uh, then our our middle child, uh, all the way to the far left there, that's Ashlyn. She's my favorite. Don't tell anybody. And then that's my boy, Cohen. And the reason he's smiling that big is because he just released a toxin in the air. So boys will be boys, right? Now, listen, you're you're probably looking at that picture and you're thinking, man, look at that. that. That dude's got his life together. He's got a great looking family. He's probably styling and profiling and it's just awesome. Look at his life. And if you believe that, I love you. Thank you so much for believing that about me. You don't even know me, but I'll tell you the truth. My life is, is amazing. I'm grateful for what I, I have and what God has given me, but I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect person. I, I, I'm going to tell you something in this. It might shock you. Uh, and, 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 and I'll explain why, but, um, y- you know, pastors, we're not perfect, right? Do you know that? Are you aware of that? Has anybody ever told you that? We're not perfect, okay? And, and the reason I'm telling you that is because I'm going to tell you this story. But before I tell you this story, I need everybody to do me a favor. Everybody take, uh, take a pinky finger and just put it up like this, okay? Take a pinky finger. Now, I need you to just kind of wrap it around like you're wrapping it. And I need you to pinky promise that when I tell you this story of my failure, you're going to give me some grace, okay? You're going to be like... Michael, it's okay. Jesus loves you, right? Say that with me. Michael, it's okay. Jesus loves you. All right. I want you to remember that when I tell you this story. So back in 2011-ish, 12-ish, I was married to my wife. We had two kids at the time. We had Kira and Ashlyn. And I was full-time in college, going to, you know, in, in college. And my wife was working at uh, Applebee's. That's how we met. We were an Applebee's love story, okay? 
And uh, we met at Applebee's, and, but I had to quit because I was going to college full-time, and so she was working full-time at Applebee's as a server. I was working at our college facilities, aka I was janitor, making $300 a month, okay? $300 a month while my wife was bringing home tips at night. So you can imagine that our financial situations, we were living like the Kardashians, okay? We were not. And so oftentimes, a lot of our early, in our early marriage, for those of you who are newlyweds and you're trying to figure it out, you, you, or you've been married for a long time and you remember when you first got married, a lot of our fights were about money, okay? A lot about money. So that night, this particular night, we had just gotten in a fight about money and paying bills. So, so she was asleep in the bed and I was just kind of trying to you know, take my mind off it. So I was watching TV. It's like 2.30 in the morning, okay? And this infomercial came on. And they were going to, they wanted to help you get out of debt and to get further. So they were going to give you a loan and they were giving, and it was like, oh, we'll give you this loan and it's got great interest rates and it was awesome. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so I am a person who I, I'm not really trusting of entities and stuff. So usually whenever I see something like this, I always like to stop it. You know how like at the end, they, they tell you the fine print and they read it really fast so you can't understand it, right? Well, they had something at the bottom of the screen. So I paused the TV and I got up out of bed and I, and I, and I couldn't really read it. So I took a picture with my phone and I zoomed in and it said, like the, t- like the commercial said, we'll give you a loan. But the interest rate, now they were saying on the commercial that, oh, they got great interest rates. It's going to be amazing. But in the fine print, the interest rate was 400%. See, you had the same reaction I did. I was like, wait, hold on a second. 400%? Is that even legal? I should ask them. So I decided to get on my phone and call the number. This is, remember, this is like two something in the morning, okay? So I call the number, lady, nice lady picks up. She says her name, she says the company, how can I help you? So I go through the process because I need to get to the point where they're gonna tell me what my interest rate is. So I give them a fake name. Look, I told you, pastors, okay? We make mistakes. I wasn't a pastor at this time, okay? This is before the Lord. No, I was in the Lord, but it was close to the Lord. I... Tell them a fake name, fake email, fake address, all this stuff, okay? So I tell them, uh, I, I think I said something like, I need $2,000. So she's going through the process. So she says, okay, before I submit this, do you have any questions? I said, well, I'd like to know what my interest rate is before you submit it. So she starts giving me this spiel. Well, we have great interest rates and it, all, it depends on all the numbers and, and how that works out. I was like, I know, I know, I know that, but can you just tell me what you think it'll be? Well, you know, we have to go through this process. And I said, I know because you're going to charge it 400%. And I'm literally screaming at the top of my lungs. You're a terrible person. You should go to hell because you're ruining people's lives. You're, you're making more poor, poor people in this world. It's all because of you that nobody can ever get ahead in this life. All of my stress and anger comes out in this moment. And my wife wakes up and says, who are you screaming at? Okay. Now, I told you, we don't, we're not perfect. We all make mistakes. It is what it is. 
And I, I just remember in that time period, the reason I tell you that is because I remember the time period, she was try, this lady was trying to talk to me and I just refused to let her talk because I just could not believe that you would do something, that a company would charge 400% of interest rate when people are just trying to figure out how to get ahead in life, right? But I was done with her. I was not gonna give her any grace, any mercy whatsoever. I didn't wanna hear a thing about it. Now, I tell you that story because I believe that like Michael in that moment, our world is very similar. Here's what I mean. Look at this, look at this picture of piranhas up here. You guys ever seen piranhas in live action? It's insane. Okay? You ever get a chance? Hopefully, you're not in the water with them. But if you ever get a chance to be around piranhas and you see when they, when, um, when they get fed, it's like a feeding frenzy. I mean, they just attack, especially when it's flesh. Anything with flesh on it, they will attack it over and over and over again. And the reason why I show you that is because that is very much like our culture when it comes to failure or perceived failure in our culture. I feel like today's society is like a school of piranhas and we're just waiting for people to fail. I mean, we're literally watching for every opportunity to, to pounce on someone when they blow it, when they make a mistake. We've even created a name for it, cancel culture. You say the wrong thing, you post the wrong thing, you, you think the wrong thing, and somebody finds out, and bam, you get canceled, right? I mean, we literally go searching through people's social media uh, footprint years in the past to see if, if they posted a comment or if they said something about a hot topic button or if they shared a position of something so that we can cancel them. Now, listen, you, you, you I absolutely agree that we ought to be held accountable for our words and our actions, especially if our words and our actions cause harm to somebody's you know, rights or their liberties. For sure. Case in point, when Chick-fil-A runs out of the Chick-fil-A sauce, they should be canceled. I didn't go to Chick-fil-A to not get the sauce, okay? This is the Lord's chicken. I need the sauce. Canceled, right? I love it when, uh, when I meet people and they say, you know, oh, I love going to Cali. Canceled. You can't say Cali. That's a terrible thing, right? Do we have any 49er fans in the house tonight? Anybody fans of the San Francisco 49ers? You're canceled, okay? Go Rams, all right? That's right. Go Rams, okay? I, I kid, but the thing is, man, we look at people's failure and we're just trying to cancel everybody. And the reason I talk about that is because I often think about cancel culture, when I think about our last character that we're talking about today in the series that we've been in called 30 Minutes with Jesus, I wonder what would have happened to a guy like Peter. I wonder what would have happened to a guy like him. Because, you know, he wasn't your typical like GQ model. He wasn't driving a mozzie. He wasn't hanging out with A-list celebrities or sitting courtside at the Lakers game, always the life of the party, uh, you know, knew everyone, say the right things at the right time for the perfect reason. He wasn't. Actually, Peter was, in fact, the very opposite of that. In fact, let me give you, let me give you a little uh, of his background and his bio, okay? Let me give you a little bit of this, okay? Peter fished for a living. Now, why is that important? Because I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. In the first century, in Jewish culture, it was considered a high honor if you became a disciple or was in the process of becoming a disciple of a rabbi. 
It meant that at the very least, you had begun the rigorous to master the rigorous process of becoming something of honor or importance. And most disciples became disciples by the time they were teenagers. But Peter, as we will find out in the story later, Peter was fishing, okay? Which meant that long ago, he had failed to be able to follow in the footsteps of a rabbi. And, and let's be honest. I mean, you know, if, if you're a fisher, fisherman, fisherwoman today, that's awesome. But in the first century, the, the job of a fisherman was not a glamorous job. It was dirty. It was smelly. It was not as honorable as some of the other things you could be doing. And that's where we find Peter. Now, the reason he's doing that is because he was uneducated. Peter was uneducated. You see, in the Jewish culture in the first century, by the age five, by age five, they would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Not like memorized like they knew like the songs, like memorized word for word the first five books of the Bible. And then after that, they would kind of get like a little pop quiz test kind of deal. And if they were good enough, then the rabbi would move them to the next stage. But if they weren't good enough, they would be told to go and learn their family's business. Then by the age of 10, they would have memorized the entire Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, word for word, because most towns barely had one set of Old Testament scriptures, one for a whole town. You imagine that living in Porter Ranch and everybody would come to read one text. That was it. And so they had to memorize it word for word. And then after that, what they would do is the rabbi would sit down with them and he would grill them. He would ask them questions about the ancient scriptures. And the way they would pass the test is not by giving the rabbi an answer, but by asking a question that not only answered his question, but posed a better question. I can't do that. I barely can add and subtract, let alone start asking people questions and so that's what they would do. And if they were good enough, the rabbi would say to the, to the person, you're, you're good, come and follow me. Hold on to that thought. If they weren't good enough, he would tell them to go and learn their family business. Again, we can see because Peter's fishing that he obviously wasn't good enough. At some point in time in his life, he did not make it past the level that would make him be able to become a disciple. He didn't pass the test. Peter was carrying out his family business. He didn't get far in his education. And here's another thing about Peter. That boy was always saying the wrong things. Literally. He was notorious, okay, for putting his foot in his mouth. Now, as a side note, I'm actually kind of really proud of this because I'm really bad at like cliches. I'm terrible at them. I always get them wrong. I once told an audience that you shouldn't put the egg in the chicken before the cart, before the cart is what I said. Cause that's not the same apparently. Cause my wife was sitting in the front row and she's like, mm -mm, don't, don't stop, stop, babe. Mm -mm, you, you messing it up. 
I'm terrible at it. And that was Peter. Peter was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong situation. Literally, if cancel culture was uh, in the form that it is today, back in Peter's day, Peter would have literally been the poster child. You'd have been walking by an ancient temple. You would have saw the big words cancel culture and Peter like, right? That would have been Peter immediately. He was literally always stepping in it because he shot straight from the hip and he didn't really think before he spoke. And I, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. You could be different, but I'm just telling you for me, I find that Peter was very relatable. Like I'm like, Peter, you and me, like we, we, we cool because I'm very much like Peter. You see, oftentimes we try to find ourselves in, in Bible characters, right? We, we look at characters and we read them and we think, oh man, I know what he feels like. Oh man, I'm going just through that. Oh man, I love her courage, right? We look at somebody like Ruth and we think, man, I got the bravery like her. Or David, when he's running from King Saul, man, his misery. Or Naomi's kindness. Or Moses's anger. Or Sarah's impatience. Or Joshua's leadership. Or whatever it is. But man, if I could tell you, if there's one person I find very relatable in almost every season of my life, in every instance, it is Peter. Literally in almost every story you read about Peter, he's stepping in it. He's making mistakes. I mean, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't the top pupil. He wasn't the most articulate. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't perfect at all. And let me tell you, there are a lot of characters. There are a lot of characters in the Bible I can't relate to. But I can relate to Peter. Here's why. Because when I look at Peter, I'd rather follow someone who was real than someone who was always right. See, Peter was real. He wasn't always right, but he was real. He knew who he was. He knew what he wasn't. And he didn't let that stop him from being used by Jesus, which is why he becomes the very first disciple that Jesus calls. The very first disciple that Jesus calls. Let me show you. Let me just show you like a typical moment in the life of Peter, okay? And how Jesus took a nobody Peter and turned him into a somebody. Now, you may have heard this story before. Um, and if you haven't, we read about when Peter becomes a disciple of Jesus from this guy named Luke. Luke wrote two books, one named after him and in the book of Acts. And Luke was a doctor. And so he gets this account, maybe a little bit secondhand, but he hears about this story of Peter. And so he writes this story. Now, Jesus, at the time we're going to read where he's at, Jesus is teaching and there's all these people and they're following Jesus. It, it, it grows from this small to this massive, massive crowd. And Jesus wants to kind of create a little bit of distance between him and the crowd. So he arrives on purpose, and I'll get to that in a second. He arrives on purpose to Peter's boat where they're out fishing. And the dude just gets in. Now, this would be like you going down to, I don't know, let's say uh, Dana, uh, uh, Dana Point and walking down and seeing a yacht and just getting on there, not expecting anything to happen. I don't know about you, but we live in California. You're probably going to get shot. Okay. I'm just telling you. Right. But Jesus just gets in his boat, just gets inside of Peter's boat. I imagine this is my assumption. This is the word of Michael, not the word of the Lord, but I imagine that Peter had heard about Jesus, right? Because, you know, once Jesus did one miracle, everybody started talking. 
You know, they didn't have Twitter and social media back then, but they found a way to get the word around. Hey, there's this guy out here. He's doing some crazy junk right now, right? And I imagine that when Peter saw Jesus coming, he's like, oh, that's Jesus, right? And so Jesus gets in his boat and he tells Peter to row it a little bit from the shore and he does. And then Jesus starts to teach. And that's where we're going to pick up um, our, uh, the story today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter five. It'll be on the screen. Or if you have your Bible, it'll be there as well too. So Luke chapter five, here's what he says. Here's what Luke writes. It says, when he had finished speaking, Jesus, he said to Simon, which was another name for Peter, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Now, I love this moment because I imagine that when Peter, when Jesus said, hey, go out and, and, and this part of the lake and catch some fish, this is the face Jesus, or Peter made right here. <laughs> like, foo, we've literally been out here all day. Like, you, you, you could tell we've been out here all day. And we ain't caught no fish. Or, you know, I'm from the South. But we ain't caught, ain't no fish out there, Okay. Ain't no fish out there, and you want us to go back out there again. Okay, whatever. So they go out, right? They go out, they catch some fish. That's the face he makes. Any parents in the house today? Any parents, raise your hand. You got some kids? You know this face. You know this face real well, right? You've mastered this face. You tell your kids, right? My kid comes to me and says, Dad, I want to watch Sniper Wolf on YouTube. I'm like, this is the 50th time you made me watch this dumb girl talk about some stuff on YouTube. I don't even understand what she's talking about. No! right? Or if you're a college student and your professor says, I've already posted the grade and you're like, no, you didn't. You're lying, right? We make that face. And Peter's making his face like, we've been out here for hours, Jesus. We're the fishermen. I think we know. And Jesus is like, no, just trust me. Go out, go, go a little bit further. So he does. Okay. So he goes out and this is what Peter says. He says, we worked again. We worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout of help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. And as were the others with him. And then in verse 10, on uh, the second part of verse 10, Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Man, I really love this moment. I love this moment because this is a guy who probably thinks this is it to his life. This is it. Like he understands, like I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm not the most articulate I'm not the most handsome, most capable. I've really never rose to anything above being a fisherman. And yet in this one moment, Jesus changed the trajectory of his life. And you might be here in the house today. And I always refer to the church as a house because it's a place that no matter who you are, where you are, your background, you're welcome in this place. So this is a house. You might be here in the house today and you might say, you know what, Michael, that's my story. That's my story. Like, I don't feel like I measure up. I'm overlooked. I'm overworked. 
I'm underpaid. I'm the third will. I'm the least educated. I'm not as articulate. I'm still single. I'm the quiet one. And there's no way or no how that God can or wants to use me. Well, let me set the record straight for you today. If you are willing, and that's the key word is if, if you are willing, if you're willing, God wants to do a work in you that will be for you and can be done through you. Let me, let me just say that again for you. If you are willing, God wants to get inside of you and bring out the best version of you for you. And if you allow him to do that, then through you, the world could be changed. But you got to be willing. You got to be willing. You got to be willing to say, Jesus, here it is. I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a dad working as a plumber. I'm just a college student. I'm whatever it is. And that's all I got to offer. And Jesus says, that's enough. That's enough. That's all I want. I want you to understand. You see, in order for you to, to grasp this, you've got to change your perspective. You have to change your perspective of how Jesus sees you versus how the world sees you. You see, we've been programmed, we've been programmed to judge ourselves based upon a system that was set up for us to fail. I'm going to say it again. We have been programmed to judge ourselves based upon a system that was set up for us to fail. You see, you think that the world says, oh, when you do better, you climb the ladder. But the ladder has already been built against you. The world wants you to think that you'll never measure up. So you keep trying, you keep striving, you keep trying to do something and go somewhere. But the world is already built against you. You are, this system is set up for you to fail. Why? Because there will always be someone better than you. Do you understand that? There will always be someone better than you in this world, which forces us to live in comparison to each other. And let me tell you something. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill the special thing that God wants to do in you, for you, and through you is to compare it to something else. Man, we kill what God is trying to do in us when we're constantly trying to measure it up against what he, God, might be doing in someone else's. And, and, and we might hold that person in high regard. We might respect that person. And hear me. I'm not saying it's bad to have people who inspire you, have people who motivate you. I have many people in my life, men and women, who have motivated me and inspire me. But where it has gone wrong, like a lot of good things in life, where it has gone wrong is when I've tried to be them, when I've tried to compare myself to them, when I've tried to measure up to them. And what I've found and what you will end up finding is that all you'll get is a cheap version of yourself. A cheap version of yourself. That's all you'll ever get. But when we allow ourselves the ability to begin to view who we are and whose we are through the lens of Jesus, it changes everything. Absolutely everything. So if you, get, if you don't hear anything else tonight, regardless of what life stage you're in, regardless of what faith stage you're in, 
Whether you've been following Jesus for a long time to a short time, or you're still exploring what it means to follow Jesus, I need you to hear this tonight, church. I need you to hear this. If Jesus could see the potential in Peter, he most certainly can see the potential in you. If Jesus could see foot in the mouth Peter saying the wrong things at the wrong time, doing the wrong things, living as a fisherman, low honor, low born Peter, then how much more could he see in you? How much more could he do through you? Jesus could take that potential that's living inside of you and turn it into a promise. He takes that potential and he turns it into a promise by the power of his resurrection. You realize that? That the moment Jesus came back to life, that potential that was lost in you came alive. That when we give our lives to Jesus, the thing we didn't think we could do, we could do through the power of Jesus. I mean, look no further than Peter's own life. Let me, let me just show you Peter's life before and after the resurrection, okay? Because this, this is so good. This is so good. You see, before the resurrection and after the resurrection, because of the resurrection, Peter went from swearing to preaching, okay? Now, real life church, we're not allowed to say the word preaching, so I'm so glad to be here tonight. He went preaching! He's preaching the word! You see, because Peter, when, when Jesus was being taken and arrested and, and somebody found and somebody said, hey, hey, Peter, I think you were with Jesus. He said, hey, don't be, hey, get that stuff out of here. No cap. I don't know this Jesus. I don't know anybody. And he starts swearing up and down. He's saying things he shouldn't say. He's cursing. But listen, after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of Peter, gets a hold of him. And now he's one of the most articulate. He's proclaiming God's word and he's changing the world with this revolutionary love, grace and truth of Jesus that will eventually turn the world upside down. You see, what that shows me is that God wants to pull out of your heart what matters most. But you've got to let God do the heart work. I'm constantly reminded that, especially when I fall short, when I sin, it is because I haven't been very good at letting God do the heart work inside of me. You know, I, we, it's, it's kind of like this analogy. You know, when, uh, when I walk into my garage sometimes right outside by my house, I see all these cobwebs. And so I keep cleaning the cobwebs. And once I clean them, I'm like, Whew, okay, good. Cause I'm, I'm just so you know, I'm really scared of spiders, spiders and frogs. I think they're of the devil. Okay. And when I, I clean out the cobwebs and I clean them out and I think I'm good, but then what ends up happening is sure enough, four or five weeks later, they're back and they're stronger than ever. So then I clean out the cobwebs again. And then four or five weeks later, the daggum cobwebs are back again. And it's the most frustrating thing. Why? Because I can clean the cobwebs all I want, but until I kill the spider, the cobwebs are going to keep coming back. Until we kill the sin in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to keep finding ourselves in that sin over and over again, right? And that's where Peter's life changed. Peter kept finding himself doing these things, saying these things, stumbling in these things. But as soon as the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of his life and gets into the heart of the matter, Peter's change forever. And guess what? Because of Peter's change, you and I are changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter went from slashing to ministering. 
This dude was all about some violence. As soon as they arrested Jesus, he grabbed somebody's sword, sword, sorry. He grabbed somebody's sword. I'm glad my wife's not here to hear that one. He grabbed somebody's sword and he sliced the dude's ear off. Just violent. He was angry, impatient. But the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of him and changed his life. Now he's healing instead of causing harm. He's healing the blind. He's helping the lame walk. He's changing the trajectory of people's eternal destination. And then he went from fearful to fearless. I mean, remember, he was scared. He was so scared when they called him out, when they said, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Weren't you the one that was walking with him? Didn't you do life with him? Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter's like, no, don't put me with him. I don't know the man. I don't want to be with the man because Peter was afraid. He was scared of of suffering with Jesus. He was scared that he would lose his place with Jesus. He didn't want anywhere. He didn't want to be associated with because he was so fearful. But after, this is such a cool moment, after Jesus rose from the dead and he went to their place of hiding, the scriptures tell us what? That the room filled with immediate joy. Joy. You see, when we're joyful, we're not fearful. You know, we, 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 we sometimes confuse happiness with joy. Happiness is fleeting. It's temporary. Right? I get happy when I drink a bottle of Coke. It's delicious. It's the most amazing thing. It's the sweetest nectar known to man. Okay? It's better than manna, and I've never had manna. Okay? Coke is amazing. Coca-Cola, not Coke the drug. Okay? <laughs> but I only get ha- I'm only happy as long as I got Coke. Once I run out of it, I'm not happy. But joy is long-lasting. Joy says that even if even if God doesn't come through for this diagnosis, or even if God doesn't come through to get me this grade, or even if God doesn't come through to heal me, or even if God doesn't provide this job, I'm going to find joy through the power of the resurrection with the Holy Spirit living in me. It changes my life. It changes my life, and it changes your life if you're willing to live it and accept it. And I think through Peter's life, and I want to end here, is we see three simple ways that a person's life gets changed. First of all, we see it through a resurrected Jesus. Can I get an amen on the resurrected Jesus? It literally changed our entire trajectory. Remember, at one point in time before Jesus died, you know where each of us were going? We were all headed to a place separated from the creator. We were all headed to a place of darkness and despair, hopelessness. Every negative word you want to use there, we were going there. And then Jesus showed up on the scene and changed the game. So a person who encounters Jesus, their life gets changed. I'm not saying they're going to win the lottery. I'm not saying they're going to have a better life. I'm not saying that everything's going to be peachy king. I'm just saying their life gets changed for an eternal purpose, not a short-term, but a long-term purpose. So a resurrected Jesus can change someone's life. And through the resurrected Jesus, we then get the power or the ability to have the Holy Spirit living within us. So when we, we can't talk, when we say the wrong things, 
when we mess up, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes in and it changes us day by day. It's this big stained glass word we call sanctification that we started here and God is every day walking us to become more like Jesus. That the things that were holding us back, the chains that were keeping us down, they are no longer there. They no longer hold us down. We actually get to point to north and say, that's my God. And I will be able to live how he has called me to live, not as the world wants to hold me back. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of a resurrected Jesus that lives in us through the Holy Spirit, we become a willing heart that gets to be used by God. Let me tell you this story of Shirley Rainwaters. She was a teacher, a sixth grade science teacher, and she had this, this, this kid in her class and she noticed that uh, this kid was not, um, just not well-dressed. Sometimes he smelt bad. He was wearing some pretty raggedy clothes. And so she kind of started talking to this kid and she learned that this kid uh, liked football. But, and he, he would sneak over to the local baseball field so he could watch the, the football game from the baseball field. So she struck a deal with him. She said, look, if, if I pay you, if, if, if you clean these guinea pig cages every week, I'll give you enough money so you can get in the game. You can buy yourself some food and drinks and enjoy the football game. The kid was like, oh yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. So every Friday, he'd clean the cages and she would pay him enough money to, so he could go to the football game and get some food and something to drink and enjoy the football game from inside the stadium. Well, after football season was up, the kid was like, man, am I going to lose this deal? And she continued the deal for basketball season. There were way more games for basketball season. And so this kid would clean the cages and she would give him money to go and 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 go to the basketball games. And then about six months of this went by, and then one day she said, hey, I, uh, I go to church right here across the street from the school, and I'd love it if you'd come. And the kid was like, man, I don't want to lose this deal. So yeah, I'll show up. He had no intentions of showing up, and he didn't. Now, now for any of you who might be teachers, you know how dangerous this is. If this kid reports this teacher to the school, she loses her job immediately. She's inviting this kid to church. She's infringing on that whole separation thing. But she does it. Every week, she invites this kid to church. And every week, he doesn't show up. And so it's Easter Sunday, and the teacher, Miss Rainwaters, looks in her, the school system and finds this kid's address. And she shows up to his house and he comes to the door and he's like, Mrs. Rainwaters, what are you doing here? And she's like, well, I'm, I figured either you struggled to, to get here because you didn't have a ride, even though the church was literally right across the street from the school, which was right across the street from his house or the trailer he lived in. And so the kid said, well, you know, I just don't have anything to wear. And she said, you know, I, I, I thought you might say that. And so she goes back to her car and she pulls out this blue button up shirt and this black clip-on tie and this blue nice slacks and these black 
nice little church shoes, all perfectly this kid's size. And so he puts it on and he starts going to church and he goes to church and he hears about the good news of Jesus and how Jesus could take a nobody and turn it into a somebody. How Jesus could take a smelly little kid wearing raggedy, dirty clothes and have him stand on the stage at Shepherd Church to preach the gospel. I'm telling you, church, that if you would allow Jesus to pull the Peter out in you, you can be a part of some other person who someday may stand on this stage to proclaim the good news that Jesus is risen and that your life doesn't have to be what you thought it was going to be, that the world tells you you're nobody. Jesus says you're somebody. And that somebody is somebody that God wants to love and use if you will let him do so. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. And if you would like prayer, if you'd like to speak to somebody about your next steps that God might be doing in your life, whether that might be saying yes to Jesus, might be saying, might be, uh, saying I want to get baptized. It might be saying, you know what? I'm ready to, 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 to be a part of somebody else's life change. I want to serve somewhere. I want to lead a group. I want to hold a door open. Somebody is going to get to heaven because you said yes tonight. It's going to be you or it's going to be somebody else. So if that's you, man, would you stay over there? There's our, some of our awesome pastors who would love the chance to talk to you, to pray with you, and to help you take your next step. Jesus, I thank you for each and every one of these people here tonight. God, you have been working in their lives. You have been pouring into them, reminding them that they're not a nobody. They're somebody. Lord, may we see the lesson of Peter and grab onto that to know that you are good and you take the diamond in the rough and you make it sparkly, beautiful, and perfect. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the house said, amen. amen. Thank you for coming this week. We'll see you next weekend. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.